Amen. We are excited. Uh, we're more than excited. We are stoked about what God is doing here at Praise Assembly. Pastor Nathan just mentioned it. We are convinced of the fact that scripturally God has called us as a staff and as a pastor, uh, pastoral staff, especially to equip this congregation for the work of God, right? And so you're seeing that, and we're, we, we did that today. And in Ephesians chapter 4 in, in the message specifically, it says that the whole point is that we as a church would be working in rhythm with one another. And so as part of that, you see that already focus from this last weekend. You also see that focus uh, with Strong, our upcoming our conference next year. Um, we're setting that out so that you can save the date now, October 18th and 19th. Um, the reason why this is important is if you were here on Friday night for the kickoff of the conference, you know that we are convinced and that what Paul says is that the, the, the family and whatever that looks like for us, our household, our whatever, whatever, wherever we are in that pattern, um, that, that that and walking through whatever phase of life that is together as a body of believers is incredibly attractive to a culture that has broken families, okay? So we want to see strong marriages and we want to see strong parents and we want to see strong kids. We want to see strong teenagers. We want to see strong legacies. We want to see whatever that phase looks like that we walk through it in such a way that God is glorified and others see it and they're attracted to it. Because that's what Paul says will happen multiple times in the New Testament. And so that's what we want to see and that's what we're about and that's why we're focused on it. So make sure to lock out October 18th and 19th uh, next year, okay? So I don't care if DFL or LDF or whatever is on the same day. You just make sure to be here for that, okay? And we're going to try to find a way that we don't have the same limitations on capacity next year. Uh, just some things that we might be able to move around and change the pattern of and, and so that we can get even more of the church to be a part of that, okay? But today we do need to close up this series uh, that we've been in. For those of you who maybe this is your first time here, we are right at the tail end. Well, we are at the end of a series that we kicked off, uh, I guess it's been three weeks ago now. This is the fourth Sunday. Um, just really focused on what it looks like to live on mission. And so as part of that, our goal is to uh, follow the pattern that we see in Scripture of, of living a life that is not meandering, but is instead on mission with what God has called us to do. That's our goal. We want to see what that looks like. And so we followed this pattern that's found in Colossians chapter 4. So if you would grab your Bibles today, if you didn't bring a Bible to church um, uh, there are some that are spread out throughout the seats around you if you want a physical Bible, if you want to use a digital Bible. However, just grab that right now and make sure that you're reading along so that you can participate and you can read around it. Okay, so we've been in for four weeks this one passage, which does anybody remember what page it's on? 985 if you have one of the church Bibles. It's on your front screen if you have one of the digital Bibles. Um, 985, uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6 is where we have been. And um, as you jump into it, we've, just been, we've been just digging into it for four weeks. And then we focused on the practical nature of it at the conference. And that's really our goal. And today we're going to finish that all up as we come to the end of it. 
Um, so as we were reading, we talked about the different things that we are called to do, our different callings that we find in this passage. Uh, verses 2 through 4 talk about the fact that we are called to pray, right? We're called to pray. And, and we need to be praying more than we're doing anything else, remember? Uh, the prayers set the limitations on our opportunities. And so we're praying for opportunities and open doors and not just opportunities. Pastor Nathan said it so well yesterday that we're not just praying for opportunities uh, in people's lives, but in our own minds, that the Holy Spirit would lead us and provide opportunities that we would recognize, open doors that we would see and that we can capitalize on. And so that's what we're praying for. And so we need to pray more than anything else. I can show you how much is prayer and how much is everything else, but that poor horse is almost dead, and I don't want to kick it again, okay? So you'll just have to come along with me. Verses 2 through 4 are all about being called to pray. But we're not just called to pray. We're also called to wisdom and to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time is what it says in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time and pastor nathan did just absolutely knock it out of the park yesterday at the conference does anybody agree with me yeah so good such practical stuff in session one i expect a bigger clap than that when we get to session two and i talk about how awesome session two's leader was i actually had somebody who came up to me afterwards and said hey man pastor nathan did such a good job he actually did better than you did so I fired him last night. We got that taken care of. Uh, <laughs> but really practical things about what it means to, to strategically pray and to strategically live and, and strategically make, uh, uh, be a part of events and be a part of what's going on in other people's lives. And if you, were, if you missed it, that's okay. But I'm telling you, hospitality is what we're talking about as part of this, is that this is the way that we create opportunities in people's lives. We show hospitality. We take out to coffee. We invite over for dinner. And, and the purpose of the wisdom, according to Proverbs chapter 11, 11 verse 30 is not self-preservation. That is not the purpose of wisdom. The purpose of wisdom, according to Proverbs 11.30, is saving souls. Okay? That is the purpose. And session one, so very good talking about that. So we're called to wisdom. But we're not just called to pray and to have wisdom. We are also called to speak. At some point, you got to open your mouth and say something. Let your speech, verse 6 says... Always be gracious, seasoned with salt. And if there was a, a session that I just truly, truly loved yesterday, it was session number three about how to have good conversations with Sabul Lawali. Oh, so good. He did good, right? Okay, he's not here, so you don't need to clap that that much for it but really truly I, I love the way Savo speaks he just speaks with such grace and just to mention that he will be back with us on November 11th as part of that missions convention uh, so make sure to join us for that closing session you will truly truly be blessed by it but Savo did such a good job talking about conversations Pastor Nicole mentioned it already today that, that it was just about um, even just the fact that you've just got to work through the awkward sometimes with conversations, which is so good. Um, and when it says here, let your speech always be gracious, that's exactly what it's talking about. It's obviously not talking about a monologue, 
uh, an evangelistic monologue, a speech. Instead, it's talking about a conversation and how to have a conversation with people. And truly, man, one of the things that I love that Savo said yesterday was when he talked about the fact that our conversations are not about similarities. It's about humanity. Oh, man, that's good. It's about humanity. And uh, if there was something that I would say just about conversations, if you want to know how to have good conversations, the key is learning to listen. It's learning to ask good questions and learning to listen. Most people don't do that, right? Like we've got all these ways that you can show people that you're listening. The way you show you're listening is you nod, right? Is that right? Anybody? Is that right? Yeah. You show you're listening by nodding or responding. There's only two people who are listening here today. You, res- you show by saying, oh, yeah, mm, mm, yeah, yeah, mm, that's good stuff, pastor. No, I mean, but in a conversation, we think that that's the same thing that we do, that we show we're listening by, by participating. And they give us all of these ways, and you can read, you can go out to websites, you can read books about ways that you can show that you're listening. The best way that I know to show that you're listening is to listen. And most people don't listen. They reload. Here's what I mean by that. If first time you're having a conversation with somebody you've never met before, or maybe maybe you've you've met them before and it's the first time you've had a real conversation with them, what happens while they're talking is there's an internal dialogue going on in our brains. And that internal dialogue is saying, what can I say next? What can I say next? What can I say next? How can I show how cool I am and and how intelligent I am? What can I say to show how great my personality is? The best way to, to have a good conversation with people is to actually just plain listen to them. To just take the time to shut up that voice in, in your head and to listen to what they have to say. A great way to do this is actually based on a quote that I heard a while back. And boy, this quote has fundamentally impacted the way I talk to people. It's a long quote, so you're going to have to bear with me. It's by C.S. Lewis. And just come along with me on this quote. It's long, but it's worth it. Here's what it says. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations these are mortal and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat but it is immortals whom we joke with work with marry snub and exploit immortal horrors or everlasting splendors okay that's good 
That has been something that I read one time, and that is how I try to have conversations with people. You have never met an ordinary person. I love C.S. Lewis. You love C.S. Lewis? I want to show you a picture of C.S. Lewis right after he wrote this quote. I think. Because look at that smug look. He's like, oh, man, that was good. Oh, yeah. And he's so cool. Like, look how he is pulling off that tweed jacket. And those little rimmed glasses, oh man, he is owning it. I found a better picture of him where he looked a little bit more smug than that. And I was like, oh, this is right. But he had a cigarette in his hand or maybe it was a joint. I don't know. But it was one or the other. And so I'm like, I can't show that one. Uh, So instead, I decided on this one. But man, that look, that says, oh, I just came up with something good and I'm writing it down. How awesome. I I think the reason why I like C.S. Lewis so much, though, is that I feel like He's awesome, and he looks like me, except he can pull off the tweed jacket and the little rimmed glasses. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anyways, but what a great quote. The best you guys get from me is, is listen. <laughs> I mean, that's what I've got. But if you want to have good conversations with people, ask questions and then listen to them and believe that to be true. You have never had a conversation with an ordinary person. There is no such thing as a mere mortal. What what an incredible way to think of it. And the way that it says it in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, I think nails it for me. Verse 11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. What that means is to be human is to be beautiful. Okay? And sometimes it's not easy to see that right off the bat. Sometimes you got to dig a little bit to find the beauty. But if you convince yourself in your own mind, in your thoughts, that every person you talk to has something incredibly beautiful about them, and your job is to figure out what that thing is, you ask questions, and you listen. No mere mortal. You have never talked to an ordinary person. Boy, that's good. And even better, I think, is the second part of that, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. I've read this multiple times during this series. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. If you want to learn how to have good conversations with people, realize that to be human means that we carry a burden from God for eternity and for meaning. Right? We are searching for these things. And if you want to learn how to have great conversations with people, then in your conversations, look for that thing which is incredibly beautiful. Ask the questions to figure out what that thing is, and then ask more questions about that. And then search out through questions and through listening, what is the cry of eternity in this person? Because the rest of that verse says to us, and back to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, the rest of that verse says, not only has he put it in their heart, yet so that they cannot, he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. That means he's got eternity in his heart, but he doesn't know what he's looking for. 
So he sees that there should be something better, that there's something that's missing, searching for it. Maybe he looks around at what's around us and sees brokenness and sees division and sees all of these things. And as we look around at them, we go, something's not right here, and we cry out for it. I think in the goal of our conversations is to find that out about people. What does that look like? What is the thing of beauty in this person? You've never met a mere mortal. Where is that beauty? And then, where is that heart's cry for eternity? If you make the goal of your conversations, not every conversation needs to get there, but if you're working towards that, boy, you will have some great conversations. You don't ask them that. Hey, what's beautiful about you? But you just ask questions in order to find it. Okay? I love that. So we're called to pray. We're called to wisdom. We're called to speak. And that's from uh, verse 6. And then also in verse 6, the very end of that, it says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Ultimately, we are called to answer. We are called to answer. So, come with me on this journey. Let's say we actually do these things. Starting in verse 2. We start praying for somebody or multiple people. We're praying for open doors and we're praying for, we're praying for opportunities. We're praying that we would be able to make it clear when we have the opportunity. And we're praying for those things. And as we pray for them, we are also watching for those opportunities. Right? We're walking in wisdom, not just trying to preserve ourselves, but we're looking for opportunities where we can buy up the time, where we can capitalize it. It's not passive, it's active, looking for those opportunities. And when the opportunity shows up, we jump on it to show hospitality. So maybe we invite somebody out to coffee, and we have coffee a couple times, and we talk about the Chiefs and the Packers or whatever else you might want to talk about. And then after you talk about those things, you invite to dinner, and you get together for dinner, and you talk some more, and you have a good conversation, and you're making sure that your conversation is seasoned with salt. You're finding out what's great about this person. You're finding out what the cry of their heart is. And eventually you get to spiritual things, and you ask questions of them and eventually they ask questions of you and then we have the opportunity to answer after we do all of those things we end up at Colossians 4 6 the very end of it so that you may know how you ought to answer each person so how ought we to answer well, I would say, answer honestly. Answer honestly. There's something about honesty and that, that shows vulnerability. And there's something about vulnerability that opens other people up. And so if the answer is, I don't know, there's something vulnerable about I don't know. We've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. It is okay when somebody asks you a question that you do not know the answer to, to just say, I don't know. 
Give me a chance to do some reading and ask a few people, and maybe I'll get back to you on that. Start another conversation later on. Honesty is hugely important to people. There's a, there's a business journal that I, that I get, and in part of that, there was an article that I read a little while back. It was from a survey that they had done of um, almost like 3,000 managers, right? And, and of these 3,000 managers, they asked, what is that quality that is valued most in a leader? You think that maybe it's the ability or competence or the, the vision or, or even uh, the ability to get things done. And that's not it at all. The number one is honesty. The number one value that people hold in their leaders is honesty. That's a huge value for me too. And guess what? It kind of is for God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Speak the truth to his neighbor. There are times when it's going to be hard to say the thing that you need to say. And I would just say, walk through it honestly. Answer when the question comes, honestly. Okay? Honesty is hugely important to me. I put it up there near the very, very top. I would say I also put up there with it, humility. So let's go to that one too. Answer humbly. Answer humbly. In Ephesians, that same chapter, Ephesians 4, uh, starting in the very first verse. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. Answer, humbly. Oswald Chambers once said, um, never make a principle out of your experience. Allow God to be as original with others as he is with you. And that is an excellent quote. I'd put a picture of him up there, but he doesn't look at all like me. And, and I don't think he looks cool at all, okay? Um, and he's got a full head of hair. And I don't want that happening on the same stage as me. And, and yet that quote is so good. Never make a principle out of your experience. Allow God to be as original with others as he is with you. What I mean by that is this. Your experience of coming to Christ might look a certain way. And others' experience of coming to Christ may not look exactly like yours did. I came to Christ right as our culture was straddling the fence. Our culture had one leg in modernism and one leg in postmodernism. Okay? And if you don't understand what I mean by that, previous to even the last few decades, our culture was modernist. Okay? And what a modernist says is, give me precept upon precept. Give me a logical inference. So if you prove A to be true, and A infers B, then we can build that as true, and then another layer on top of that, and you can build this logical structure. That is truth. From truth, then I form my belief, and from my belief, I live, and I, I practice. So, so truth leads to belief leads to practice. Postmodernism is fundamentally different from that. In fact, it's the exact opposite. 
postmodernism says, I form my belief based on what I see in my life to be true. So those things that work for me, those things that make sense for me, that as I see them in my life. So, so if you tell me that, that if I put magnets on my head, it'll make my blood flow better, I don't need a double-blind study to tell me that's true. Does it work for me? And if it works for me, then I'll say, okay, I believe it, which then will make it true. Okay? This is postmodernism versus modernism. And I came to the faith as we had one leg in one world and one leg in the other. And there was a barbed wire fence right over in the middle. And this is how I came to Christ. That meant that I was struggling with. I was wrestling with. Wait a second. If something is true for me, it has to be true for others. Right? If there is a truth that is universal then that makes it true. There can't be a bunch of different truths that contradict each other. Either one thing is true or the other thing is true. And I was struggling with this and I was wrestling with this and I fought through it as I was searching for truth and I tried one path and then I tried another path and then I went a different way and eventually I found Christ. That's what my pattern looked like. That's what my experience looked like. Where our culture now is no longer straddling the fence. We are full-on postmodernists, Which means that you have, well, you have people who are able to say things, who are politicians like, you know, really we're just talking about alternative facts. There is no such thing as an alternative fact. Either something is true or it is not. Okay? But that's the world we live in. If, if something works for me, then from that I form my beliefs. And then from my beliefs, we have truth. Now, we can stand in a postmodernist culture and decry how terrible it is. Or we can recognize this is the way things are. Stand in the middle of it and then humbly present the gospel there. Understanding that the culture is different. So don't make a principle from your experience. Allow God to be original with others just as he was with you. Understand that this is the world we live in and operate in it, okay? Walk humbly among those who do not know Christ. Don't say, ah, you're facing this the wrong way. Just allow God to present himself in the manner in which people will see and understand him. Don't say, no, it has to fit my pattern. The world is different now than it was when many of us accepted Christ. Okay? Understand that's the case. Understand that that's the way people think and operate accordingly. So answer with humility. Answer humbly. I would also say, and this one I think is hugely important, is answer the person behind the question. Answer the person behind the question. No question is presented in a vacuum. No question just stands on its own. Every question comes from a person. And Jesus did this so incredibly beautifully. I want to read just, I mean, we could go all through the Gospels and see a picture of Paul or Jesus presenting the Gospel 
individually to people and answering questions individually. Let's go to Luke chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 25. Luke 10, verse 25, here's what it says. And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And yet again, you have this great question that just like last week, the story we read last week, it's the same question essentially. And, and you've got this question that it's not even a softball. I mean, this is like a teed up ball. Just knock it out of the park. Like even I can do that with, a, with T-ball, right? Like Jesus should, could just easily knock this out of the park and give us like a gospel presentation that we could use regularly. But that's not what he does. Instead of just answering the question, he goes to the person behind the question. Here's what he does. He says, well, what, uh, he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? What a beautiful response. Because who's asking the question? A lawyer, a teacher of the law. So when Jesus responds to him, he doesn't respond just to the question in a vacuum. He goes to the person behind the question and speaks to that person. He does it again in Luke chapter 20. And again, we could just read all of these stories of Jesus. And you can just see how he does this. Luke chapter 20, uh, verse 1. Luke verse, uh, 20, verse 1. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things. Or who it is that gave you this authority. Like, if there is ever an opportunity to be transfigured, this is it. Oh, you want to see my authority. Boom! Right? I'm sorry, did I scare you? If there's ever an opportunity to just say, hey, wait, wait, wait. You're looking for my authority. Did you, did you not see any of the miracles I did? Right? Oh, you want to see my authority. Oh, God, could you go ahead? Father, could you speak? Boom. This is my son. Like, you could see that in this moment. What an opportunity. But Jesus again goes behind the question, knowing that there's something else happening there, and he speaks to the person, not the question. 20 verse 1, or sorry, verse 3, uh, says... Says he answered them, I will ask, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Like he goes behind it and says, wait a second, you are just looking for an opportunity to discredit me. And he speaks to that and he says, Okay, deal with this. And it's really interesting how many times Jesus responds to a question with a yeah. <laughs> Read through and see how many times he does that. It's really this beautiful thing that Jesus does regularly. Let me show you what this looks like for us. When I first accepted Christ, I accepted him while I was on a college campus. And at the time, people knew me. I mean, I had friends, and um, those friends really were trying to figure out what is going on with this dude. Like, why, what in the world, where is he coming from? And so, like, we ended up having all kinds of conversations as a result of the fact that they're like, wait a second, this is not you, you're different, what's going on here? And so there were lots of conversations where, where like, 
where I had all these friends who were trying to figure out what's going on with this guy, and they were talking about me like something weird is happening with that dude, and so they would ask me about it. And then I had other friends who I was just meeting who were part of, uh, you know, the Christian world on that campus. And so there were plenty of times where the two worlds would collide, and it was really a very interesting thing. And I, I still, I've processed all of that time in my life multiple times, but but there was one occasion where we were sitting in a room, and I, there were some believing friends, and there were some unbelieving friends, and, and one of those was this girl who just asked me, how could you believe in God? I could never believe in God. That was essentially her question. And at the time, like, I hadn't gone through Bible school, and I hadn't learned Greek, and I hadn't learned Hebrew, and I think it's good that I hadn't. Because I might have come up with a response that would have been, I don't know, just the wrong response. But thankfully, this is like a month after I had accepted Christ. For whatever reason, the Holy Spirit helped me. And in that moment, right after that person asked that question, I saw what was going on deeper. I don't know how to describe it other than that. And so she asks me that question, how can you believe in God? I could never believe in God. And I said back to her essentially this, and I don't know exactly the words that I used, but it was essentially this. Would you tell me what this God is like that you could never believe in? And she started describing who this God was. And he was angry. And he was hateful. And he was always looking for an opportunity to smite her. And I said to her, you know, I don't think I could believe in that God either. But can I tell you about the God that I do believe in? A God who loves me so much that he sent his son to die for me. And that same God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Fundamentally changed the conversation. Like everybody in the room starts crying. Why? Because the answer was not to the question, but the person behind the question. And it is okay to answer questions with a question. It is okay to say, okay, I understand that you're trying to figure out why God would allow evil. I understand that. Can you give me just a little bit of a foundation for why that question is at the top of your mind? Because a lot of times, there is something very specific evil that they are talking about. Some very specific experience that has happened in their life that they are still dealing with, and they hold God accountable for that. It is okay to answer honestly and humbly, but to the person not just the question. So answer the person behind the question. And one more, and this is the final one that I want to leave you with, and that's if it's at all possible, answer with a story. If it's at all possible, if you can find a way, answer with a story. Avi Zacharias says, no one can argue with a story. And it is so true. And more than that, even in our culture, 
with this shift from, post-moder- or from modernism to postmodernism, one of the biggest shifts that has come along with it is the way we learn. We used to learn, again, with a modernist mindset. Well, now, because of this, a modernist says, show me the facts. A postmodernist says, show me what this looks like in my life, okay? How do you do that with a story? Eight out of ten Westerners at this point would say they learn better through a story than by 1A, 1B, 1C, okay? It used to be that it was much lower than that. Nine out of ten non-Westerners learn that way. We used to be much more Greek style in the way that we learn. Now we're much more Eastern style. We learn through story, okay? So if it's at all possible, answer with a story. If you can, speak to the deeper issue. And here's why. That's what God did with us. Right? That's where God spoke to us was through story. We could have started the New Testament with Romans 1.1, but we didn't. We started with the stories of what Jesus' life looked like, right? When he wants to communicate the gospel message, how does he do that? With story about Jesus. And this connects more and better with us as, as Americans now than it ever has in the past. If it's at all possible, respond with the story. Have you noticed how cookbooks have changed? It used to be that cookbooks would say, take this much flour and this much sugar and this much salt and you put it all together and then you throw it in the oven and cook it for this amount of time and then it's done. Now that's not how cookbooks look. You know how cookbooks look now? My mother-in-law is coming over unexpectedly and and now I've got to get something prepared. Hey, come on down to the farmer's market with me as we pick out vegetables and fruits and then let's bring it back and let's put it all together. It turned from like an ABC recipe to like a story. When it happens with cookbooks, that means there's something that's going on in our culture. So if it's at all possible, respond with a story. And what I see here is that it says answer Be prepared. Make sure that it's clear, but then know how you ought to answer each person. Have you taken the time to write down your story of what Jesus Christ has done in your life? And if you first look at it and you go, well, my story is that I grew up in a Christian home. No, there is so much more to it than that. God has done so much more in your life than that. Right? So find a way to communicate what God has done in your life. For me, I would say keep it to about three minutes, which is about 300 words. We covered this at the conference. It was difficult. It was the hardest thing we did yesterday. was we tried to figure out a way to communicate what God has done in our lives in, in such a way that we could speak it via a story. And if you're interested in getting information on that, Uh, We want to make it available to you. All you need to do is text the word STORY to 815-7161. You'll get a link which will have information on all that stuff we did yesterday. But but participate in that. Write your story down. But if you're going to tell your story, you need to prepare it ahead of time. Otherwise, you'll end up staying in the weeds too much. You'll end up staying in the, man, it was on this day and it looked like this outside and and I was next to a lake. They don't care about where you were. They want to know what has God done in your life, right? So focus on God and focus on what it was like apart from him. Focus on Ecclesiastes 3.11, that cry of our hearts for the eternal, and then speak to how God has answered that, okay? Do that. But if you're going to tell your story, I think you should tell it the way Paul told his story. 
And this is really interesting. There are three times in Acts where Paul's story is told. And every single time, it's just a little bit different. Each time the story is told, it's slightly changed. The, the, the facts are all the same, but what is focused on, what is highlighted, that shifts. It changes based on who's being talked to. It's so interesting. So if you write your story and you put it together and you focus on what exactly it is that's the cry of somebody else's heart and you connect with that, with your own story, watch what God could do. Join with him in that. How much of scripture is stories? This is how God reveals himself to us. And I'm convinced that this is the best way, if it's at all possible, to reveal himself or him to others. Okay? Um, Wednesday night, uh, Reverend Alvin Langston was speaking and he said something that really has settled on my heart and has been just working me over ever since, all through the conference. It's just been working on my heart. And I think it's super important that we close this thing up with this idea. Because we're tying a bow in this thing that, that maybe we, we end right there. And what he said essentially was this, that God's purpose cannot be thwarted. Okay? God's purpose cannot be thwarted. And what's really great about everything we're focusing on, about living on mission and all of those things, and all of Colossians chapter 4, 2 down to 6, is it's really all about getting ourselves on his mission. Right? This is what he is doing. This is how he is working. And what's really great about that is what ends up happening is we end up yoking ourselves to him. How many of you have ever yoked oxen together? You guys are all city slickers. <laughs> I, I, yeah, okay. If you're going to yoke two oxen together, the reason why you do that is that you're, you're trying to get right so that they're both pulling the wagon the same direction at the same time. And what Jesus said to us was he said, take my yoke upon you. Now, if we take Jesus' yoke upon us, who do you think is doing most of the pulling? So if we align ourselves with his purpose, we are not responsible for the effectiveness of it. Okay? I want to read a passage to you, and this is a passage that maybe some of you have heard once or twice. If you come to the Wednesday night Bible study, you've heard it every single Wednesday night for the last three months. Because this verse is so good, it's from the message. Here's how Eugene Peterson reads that same passage talking about the yoke of Jesus. Here's what it says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Boy, that sounds good. 
That's what I want. I want to align myself with his purpose because when I do that, my only job is faithfulness. Faithfulness is my job. Effectiveness is God's. Hear that again. Faithfulness is my job. Effectiveness is God's. When I align myself with what God is doing, boy, I just get myself moving the right direction. And I guarantee you it's his power that's going to be doing most of the pulling. All I'm doing is I'm walking the right direction, at the right pace, in conjunction with him. I am walking with him and working with him and watching how he does it. So align ourselves with his purpose, his way, his speed, and boy, watch him doing it. The way Savo said this yesterday, which I thought was so good, so, so good, is that it's really his work. We don't do the saving. He does the saving. Salvation belongs to him. All we're doing is being faithful And he takes that faithfulness and does something so much bigger than we can do on our own. So walk with him and work with him and watch how he does it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's what I want for us. I want us to know and to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I want us as a church to find our rhythm. I want us individually to find our rhythm as we yoke ourselves to Christ's purpose, align ourselves with what he is doing, watching how he does it. And then we leave the effectiveness to him. We do our part. We pray. We walk in wisdom. We let our speech always be gracious, knowing how we ought to answer each person. And then we let God do in their lives what God wants to do in their lives. And this is the call, by the way, that goes out to each and every one of us. And this is where Jesus says, come to me. And that Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to take a real rest. Boy, I definitely can't say it any better than that. That is 100% true. If you're in here right now and you don't know Jesus Christ personally, relationally, if you're not walking with him and watching him, working with him, boy, I just want to invite you to be a part of that. Would you stand with me today? Here's how I want to end today. In a moment, I'm going to pray over you. And if you're in here and you've never accepted the forgiveness that is offered to you, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've never believed in him for salvation, today is a day in which you can do that. You can come to him. And what that looks like, according to Romans, is that what you do is you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. 
you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that the scriptures are true, and that this word of God is really, truly the word of God. And so what he reveals about him is true. God raised him from the dead. And that call goes out, come to me, come to me. And I just want to offer that call to you today. That's all I'm doing. I'm just, I'm aligning myself with what Jesus called out, come to me. Say, come to Jesus. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Say, today is the day. If you're in here and you've never done that before, never confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, never believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, today you can do that and be saved. That offer is yours. I'm going to pray, and as I do that, I'm personally going to confess him as the Lord of my life, and I would invite you to join with me in that to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you can be saved today. Would you join with me? Father, God, I thank you that our job is faithfulness. Yours is the effectiveness. Oh God, we seek to align ourselves with what Jesus Christ is doing. We take his yoke upon us. We walk with him. We work with him. We watch how he does it. And then, Father, his power is at work. God, we don't love anybody more than you love them. We can never see how beautiful they are more than you see how beautiful they are. We can never hear the eternal cry of their heart more than you hear the eternal cry of their heart. You're the one who is at work in this world. You're the one whose salvation belongs to And so, God, right now, I just pray that that call would go out afresh and anew by the power of your spirit to everybody in this room right now, that they would hear, come to me, come to me. And the offer is here. Father, right now, I confess Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He is all in all. And I put myself at the foot of his cross. I put myself at the foot of of what he has done before me, and I bow before it. I say, you are Lord, Jesus Christ. You're Lord of my life. And I believe in my heart right now that these scriptures are true of him, that that Jesus was raised from the dead. He is not just what he has accomplished, but even now what he is accomplishing for me. And even now he is entreating and, and coming before the throne on my behalf, interceding for me, because he is alive today and working today, and his power is at work today. Father, I just lay everything before you. I thank you for all that you have done in this series. I thank you for everybody who came as part of this conference and all the good work that you did. And Lord, I believe that it will have impact, not just today or this week or this month or this year, but will have impact into eternity. Turn our hearts towards your purpose. Turn our hearts towards your mission. Help us to be on mission, O oh God, I pray. And work through that according to your power. We hand it over to you today, O oh God. I ask for your power to be at work. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to leave this as a place of prayer in here. And if 
If you just committed your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time, if you just declared that Jesus was the Lord of your life today, I would invite you that as others are stepping out and heading out the door, would you step out and come down to the front? This team down here at the front would just love to pray with you. And they've committed themselves to pray, not just right now, but all week long. If you come and ask for prayer for anything, they would just love to pray with you. And we'll be praying for you all week. But especially, especially if you just for the very first time committed your life to Christ, I would encourage you, instead of heading out, would you just come down and talk with them so that they can share with you what this looks like to walk along with Christ, okay? Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for being a part of this series. Thank you so much for being a part of this church. God bless you as you go today. Have a great week. We'll see you on Wednesday and next Sunday.